this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our Savior, that you are our King, you are our Messiah. You're the one who saves, you're the one who heals, you're the one who redeems. You're the one who loves us even when we don't deserve it. You're the one who forgives us when we don't deserve it. Your, new, your mercies are new every morning. You are here. You are alive. You are with us. You are for us. And we just ask that we would receive that this morning. Thank you for your word that speaks to us. Thank you that you're interested in relationship with us. You're interested in speaking to us. You're interested in changing us. You're interested in using us. And we just open ourselves this morning to just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, last week, Todd Monger kicked off a new series um, called Everyday Matters. And what we're doing is we're just sort of looking at how can maybe I grow in this next year, in a time of year when a lot of people are looking at ways to change. By the way, when Mar when, if you were here last week, uh, Todd was saying NRs at the beginning of a sermon. I had no idea what he was talking about. I'm like, what is he? Did anyone else have no idea what he was talking about when he said NRs? And then finally he said New Year's resolutions. And I was like, oh, okay, there we go. But um, I've never heard that before. Um, but, but anyways, we do make NRs, New Year's resolutions, this time of year. And we're sort of evaluating life and we're looking and going, what are changes that we want to make? But what does the Bible say just about what it looks like to follow Jesus? That's the best question to ask this year. And then what, are, what do I do to, to, like, be obedient to that? If we did that, that would change every area of, of your life. And Jesus says to take up your cross and follow me. It is a daily decision to follow Jesus. And so every day matters because every day we're given the opportunity to follow Jesus. Every day we're, we're given the opportunity to receive the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. And every day we're invited to be used by Jesus. And that's why every day matters. We live in a, um, a sort of metric-obsessed society. Like, numbers and grades define a lot of areas of success. It, it establishes a lot of our identities, like the grades that we get, the GPAs that we have, the number that our IQ is, our net worth, um, you know, we look to numbers or letters to, to define us. I mean, even on my, my, my like, Apple Watch, it's, a, it's numbers that are telling me whether or not I'm, I'm healthy. And I think we can kind of get obsessed around numbers and letters that, that tell us whether or not we're, we're successful. And we actually put people in tears based on metrics. We judge people based on metrics. I, you know, a lot of the times, I would say most times or not, when I meet a person for the first time and they ask me, you know, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a, I'm a pastor, both Christians and non-Christians. The, the next question is almost always, how big is your church? And I just find that incredibly interesting because I go, so if I tell you, in my mind I'm thinking, if I tell you that it's 20 or I tell you that it's 2,000, you're going to look at me differently, aren't you? Because you wouldn't ask that question unless it defines something for you. Or, it, you know, it, 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 it led you to a belief about me. And that's just the world in which we live. So let's just, let's sort of 
take hold of that for a moment. And if you have a piece of paper or a, and a pen or you have your phone, whatever, you have some, one of those things. Um, take it out and let's just, let's grade ourselves for a moment here. So um, give yourself a grade. And I don't care how you do it with numbers or letters. It can be zero being the worst, 10 being the best, or A is great and F is failing. But um, let's look at different areas of your life. Let's give it a, a grade. How, uh, how do you feel about your health? Your current, where you are just with your health. How about with relationships, your marriage, your uh, relationships with your kids, your family, your in-laws, your friends? Like, how are you relationally doing? How about money? How do you feel about your current economic status? How are you feeling about your goals? How are you feeling about your debt, if you have it? You know, how are you feeling? How do you grade yourself on how you use your money, how you're spending your money, how you rely on your money, what you think about your money? How about purpose? I mean, what is the purpose of your life? What are you doing, like, how you're living your life, like, your life matters, but do you feel like you're living up to the opportunity God has given you to make an impact, to, to do something in this world, to feel purposeful and feel like I'm a part of something, God's using me, or I'm making the world a better place? And today, what I want to talk about, and the final grade I want you to consider, is your relationship with God. How is it? How would you define it? And if you were, if you were sitting with him, with Jesus, and you were sitting with a therapist, and you're like, how are you doing, Aaron, with, with Jesus? What would you, you know, what would I say? What would you say? What would you honestly say in front of Jesus how things are? What's the number? What's, what's, what's the grade? Are you, are you happy? Are you feel, like, do you feel close? Like, are you excited? Do you feel like you're hearing God? Like, you're seeing God move? Like, you're, you're, you're drawn to God? And it's important because there's going to be seasons in life where you're on fire and there's going to be seasons in life where you feel like you're in the desert. And that's normal, by the way. But is there, a, is, there a, is there still a pursuit? Like, is there an ember in your heart that, that is, that I just, I want God. What if, you know, I don't know what grade you gave yourself, but look at that grade and go, and go what if a year from now, I up that grade? You know, it would be it would be fine to up all the grades in all the other areas. And a lot of people, that's what they're obsessed about, those other areas, the health, relationships, the money, the purpose, like establishing an identity. Like Those are like, when you look at all the New Year's resolutions, they're almost all huddled under those categories. But what if we said, you know what, 
I want to focus on the one that I think matters the most and I believe matters the most. And that is my relationship with God. Because if I worked hard this year on bumping up my, my grade with God, it would touch all those other areas, no doubt. The problem is we don't start with God a lot of the times. We start with all the other stuff. And, and so what if a year from now, that, like, that grade was higher? How would your life potentially be different? Like, what would 20, how would you talk about 2023? What if you experienced that ember sparking into a, a, a flame? What if God, like, what if you, what if you read the Bible, and I'm going to show you a text this morning about a, a, a person who's talking about God in an extraordinary way, and, and you go, man, I talk about my relationship with God like that. And that, that ember grew into a flame that, that revived you, that, that created a revival in your, in your life that changed the trajectory of your life forever. God wants to do that in all of us. John Tyson is a pastor in New York City, and he, uh, he studies revival. And he's, he has given a lot of his life to studying revival. You know, where you and I take our kids to Disney World on vacation, this guy takes his family on revival tours all around the world, where, like, revival sprung up, and all these, these places you would think revival would spring up, but then all these places that you wouldn't think revival would spark. But revival is really these moments in history where God's spirit just powerfully moves and people turn to God in amazing ways. And, and, and Tyson has spent a lot of his life just researching that. And, and so when people find out like, that he's spent a lot of time, the, the inevitable question that comes up is like, what sparks it? How does this happen? How, 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 do I, how do we see revival? How do we be a part of revival? Like, we want to know how. And he would say, in all of his time studying it, looking at it, thinking about it, and praying about it, he can answer that question with one word. Hunger. Revival is sparked by hunger. A hunger for God. He says um, this, God comes where he's wanted. It's as simple and challenging as that. How hungry are you for God? What are you, what, I mean, what are you willing to say no to to say yes to God because you're hungry for him, because you want him, because you want to experience him? We say we want God, but how in the way that we live and with our words and our deeds, the, the, our actions actually profess that we want God above all else. And then we wonder, because we're saying yes to every other thing that the world is offering to us, we wonder why our relationship with God is dry. We wonder why he seems silent or, or, or not around. The truth is God is where he's God goes where he's wanted and the reality is he's not wanted in a lot of our lives. And that's not to make you feel shameful or bad but 
let's just be honest. It's so much easier to say yes to so many other things while saying no to God. You know, Tuesday nights, how many of us just go, I'm two and a half hours for a Bible study every week for that many weeks? Are you kidding me? I can't invest that. But we, we, we take our kids to sports every weekend for tournaments and practices at 6 a.m. We find time to watch Netflix, go on vacations, go shopping. I mean, name the stuff. Like, if you want it, really want it, you figure out a way to get it. So how hungry are you for God? And what if 2023 was about, about being like having a hunger for God that you've never had before? I want to read for you a passage of scripture. And I want you, as I read this, to just listen to the words that David is writing in this psalm. Listen to what he, how he just talks about God. Listen to what he says about God. And my question for you and for me is like, could I with a straight face write this and believe it and it be true? So I'm going to read it once through and then I want to come back to it and just highlight some things. So this is Psalm 63 if you want to open your Bible or look on your phone or look on the screen. This is written by David. It says this, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of of your wings. I cling to you. You, your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. Those They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. And just reading this this last week, I mean, I'm just asking myself, like, can I, can I, could I write something like this about God? Like, is this, do I believe that this is true? All these, this, this, this language that David uses, like, your love is better than life. Do I believe that? Am I willing to raise my hands to worship him? Like, am I satisfied in God? Like, I, I find satisfaction in a wonderful meal? Do I think about God while I'm falling asleep? He goes as far to say like he wakes up in the middle of the night and that's who he's thinking about when he says, you know, I think about God in the watches of the sleep, of, my, of the night. And I just like, no, I, no. And there's two ways you can, you can receive this message and I can receive this message today. You can receive it as I'm not good enough and feel shameful and I'm gonna work really hard and like I'm gonna try harder 
and I feel really bad because my relationship with God is just, it stinks. And that's the way a lot of people, a lot of us would, would receive this. But set that aside, because that's not the way that God wants you to receive this. And I want to look and go, what if this is true? What if what David is saying here is true? What if, like, I could experience God and write like David writes? Forget about all the, you know, I should do this and I should be better and the shame. Like, that's what the enemy wants. But what if we set it aside and go, ask, ask ourselves, what if this is true? What if, what if, what if I, I could experience God like David experiences God? And you can. But let, let's, uh, let's just look through this text for a while and just see how it challenges us. So he says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Now, one of the things that's important to recognize about what's happening here is David, and it, it, right under Psalm 63, there's a little title, and it says, a Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. This man is on the run from his son Absalom who wants to kill him and become king. So, so David's own son is after him with the intent to kill him. And David is on the run, and he is in the desert. So he's, he's desperate. He's, he's probably hungry. And he is likely incredibly thirsty. This is a man who has real problems. This is a man who's experiencing real danger. I mean, he's got physical problems. Like, where are you going to get food? Where are you going to get water, number one? Where are you going to get shelter? He's got relationship issues. His son is, his son is after him. You know, his son's after his, his power, his title as king, which along with that comes all his money, all, you know, all his, 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 his riches, I mean, he's got health problems, he's got relationships problems, he's got money problems. He's, the guy's got a lot of problems. And yet, what does he say here? I earnestly seek you, God. He is not seeking solutions to his problems. He's seeking God. And I wonder how many of us are seeking solutions to our problems before seeking God. How many of us are, are spending our day in our head uh, just and at night before we're, while we're trying to fall asleep, just running through all of the problems and trying to come up with all the solutions, working hard to fix things, make things work, make everybody happy. I mean, here's a man who should be trying to figure out how to fix everything in his life. And what is he right? No, I'm not fixing and then going to God. He's going, he says, I, am, I seek you first. And I wonder how many of us have to start seeking God first instead of seeking solutions to our problems first. And I wonder just... Because we get that backwards, we leave God out of it all. But if we flip it and we see God, I wonder how many of us would start to see solutions 
and to our problems and healing in our relationships. He goes on to say, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. I mean, this is, this is interesting because here's a man in the desert who, who inevitably is thirsty, physically thirsty. And he doesn't make any comment about how thirsty physically he is. He doesn't complain about how thirsty he is. He doesn't you know, proclaim, like, I need water. He's in essence saying God is greater than water. Like God can give me something that water can not. I mean, here's a man who in the desert says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I mean, I want that. I want that. I want... I want, I want to be able to say that about my relationship with God. Like, the, I, man, I have a hurt, thirst and I have a hunger for you that, man, it doesn't matter all the, 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 the outside things that are trying to, to take hold of me and all the other things that I think are going to fix my problems, all the other things that I think are going to make me happy, all the, all the things that the world says will give me satisfaction and, and, and identity. And I, I, man, what if I learn to just thirst for God and his righteousness? What if I experience God in such a powerful way that I go, there's nothing better? And that is available to you and I if we're hungry enough for it. He goes, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. See, this is a man who has seen and experienced God in powerful ways so he can write. It is better than life. It is better than the things of this world. It is even better than safety. It's better than my suffering because your love is better than life. There's a lot of things, man, like I look out and I just want really bad <laughs> like new technologies and new gear and you know a bigger house and all that stuff and it's not that that stuff's bad but if I'm honest I look to it for happiness I look to it to fill something in me I look to it to do something to fix a spot in me that that, that is missing that feels dead. And here's a man who goes, God's love is better than life. It's better than all the things that you can have or get in this life. Man, if that's true, if that is true, does that not change everything about our lives? Should it not change everything about our pursuits? Should it not change everything about how we live and how we use our time and how we use our money and how we raise our families. Should it not affect the things we say yes to and the things that we say no to if it is true? He goes, I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. When was the last time you lifted up your hands to God? 
When was the last time you were so moved by the Spirit of God that you just had to lift up your hands? You know, there is something about physically responding to God that does something in us, and it also shows him something. And, you know, I'm amazed at, at the things that stir emotion and, and will get me to, to act, dare I say, out of character. And, you know, yesterday I was, I was at maybe the worst place in the world, um, the Edinburgh play area. This place is a disaster. It's an indoor play area where you go with your kids and it's just kids screaming constantly. And then like an amphitheater of tired parents. That's, that's just all it is. So that's where I was. And I, uh, I, I go to my phone. And I, don't, I saw, I don't remember what it was, some, some headline or something that, that like this happened five years ago, whatever. And I watched the video and I just was like, whoa. Like the emotions. I was like, oh, yeah. Like, Oh, I can't wait for tomorrow. And I want to show you, like, two of my, like, I remember these moments and watching and the emotion that was stirred in me. But watch the emotion that is stirred in grown men. Watch it. Two receivers two left and right. Favre out of the shotgun. Chester to his right. Third down. 12 seconds to go in the game. Niners lead by four. Far back to pass, pumps to the left, eight seconds left. He gets away from the pressure, fires to the end zone. It's hot! It's Greg Lewis! Touchdown! Oh my heavens! Greg Lewis, welcome to Minnesota! Oh my heavens! Greg Lewis's first catch has given the Minnesota Vikings an improbable you know, victory. Other, you don't know each no other? flags on the field. Brett Favre, Greg Lewis, how do you like that? Now this one, I think Vikings five years 39, ago. It's third down. Three receivers right, feel and left. Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Caught by Diggs. Stay up. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. 30. No way. Are you kidding me? It's a Minneapolis miracle. Step on Diggs. And the Minnesota Vikings have lost I love watching those. I do. My favorite part of the Minneapolis Miracle is watching Drew Brees and the Saints. Just, oh, it's delicious watching their pain. <laughs> and you know, some of us, we are going to watch today, and we are going to cheer, and we're going to have fun. And let's hope we don't need a Minneapolis Miracle to win. Like, and, and look, I'm all in on sports. Some of you are. Some of you aren't. Um, I love it. I'm a fan. I'm going to watch. And I jumped up and down like a child when that happened. My wife, during the Minneapolis Miracle, she might be upset for me telling this, she cried. <laughs> it, it moved her to tears. You know, like, and, and so there's something about football, sports, like, there's something in us that stirs something. And I, I love that. It's great. Um, 
have to ask myself, like, how come I don't get that excited at, like, with God? I mean, when was the last time the Vikings stormed the gates of hell for me? You know, when was the last time the Vikings, you know, paid the penalty of my sin? When was the last time the Vikings restored me and forgave me? You know, when was the last time the Vikings hung and suffered on a cross for me? There are a lot of suffering that they do. <laughs> getting paid millions of dollars, you know, to lose. But, um, you know, like, what if we came into this place on a Sunday and we just thought about what Jesus has done for us? What, what if we came in on a Sunday we got our coffee and we just sat here for a moment before things began and we just reflected on what, what Jesus has done for us. And how can it not stir us? How can it not mo move us to raise our hands? You know, some of you have never raised your hands in worship. And I don't say that to make you feel bad. Um, I grew up in a church that I don't even think we had drums. Um, and, and, and so when I started attending a church after college where I would look and like see people raising hands, I was incredibly uncomfortable. And uh, I just, I remember like, I'm not doing that. What are people going to think? It's going to feel weird. It's going to feel awkward. Like, and uh, I for like a year or two, I just didn't. I just, you know, do that. And I realized that I was thinking more about m me and my comfortableness, and I was thinking more about what people might think of me based on what I was doing, than I was actually thinking about God during worship. And that was a huge paradigm shift for me in my relationship with God and my life of worship, was I'm going to stop thinking about all that, I'm just going to focus on God. And so I would close my eyes, and I still do this to this day, is most of the time I'm closing my eyes. And sometimes, you know, some of the songs I know, a lot of them I know, a lot of others I don't, so I look up at the screen because um, I, I want to know the words. But like, a lot of times I'm closing my eyes and in my mind's eye, I'm just like reflecting on God. I'm visualizing God and like, I'm thinking about interacting with God and during it, I'm praying, I'm trying to listen to him. And I'll never forget, like I heard, I heard, I had this nudge to raise my hands and I had never raised my, hand, raised my hands in worship before in my entire life. And I got that an instant like, ugh, like I'm not doing it. And then I felt like God, as my eyes were closed, said like, would, would you not sacrifice your comfortableness and your cares of what other people think for me? What if you just focused on me? Like, raise your hands to me. Like, don't you need me? Yeah, I need you. Reach out to me. So what I try to do is I try to just pay attention to God when I'm worshiping. I don't think about you. <laughs> I don't care what you think. I, I mean, I'm not, I try not to what you think about what I'm doing. And if, if, I'm, if, if God's like, get on your knees because I want, like, you need me, and I want you to, like, bow before me, I'm going to do that. I'm going to raise my hand. I'm not telling you to be fake, but some, some of us grew up in such strict sort of Christian tightness that we're losing out on, like, these moments of emotion. It's okay to be emotional about God, okay? It's good. God created you. He gave you emotions, and I look, it can get too emotional and it can get fake. Yeah, absolutely it can. I'm not asking you to fake it. What I'm asking you is what if during worship you opened yourself to just truly focusing on God 
And it will lead to you doing some things that you've never done before. And David's like, I just, I got to raise my hands because this God's awesome. This God has provided for me. He goes, I will be satisfied with the richest of foods. And I got to start moving quick here. But my wife and I like to go to this one restaurant. And we only go there like once or twice a year because it's not cheap. But it has like the best, like in our minds, the best filet mignon. And I don't eat that a lot because I can't afford it. But when, but when once or twice a year, it's a treat. And we go there and we split it. And I'll tell you what, like when we, we go, we're excited when we're walking into the restaurant because we know how good it is. We sit down and we just enjoy it. Every bite is like a little bit of heaven. And at the end, we're just satisfied. And I'm like, how often do I experience those same sorts of feelings or have those same similar thoughts when it comes to when I leave church or when I leave a, a, a Bible study or when I leave my time with God. Like, I want that. I want, I, want to, I want God to be enough. I want to find satisfaction in God. He goes, I cling to you. This is a man who's hungry for God. And so that's what I leave you with. How hungry are you for God? And let me just say, here's three things as the band comes up that um, I want to quickly invite you to consider to get hungry for God. The first is this, get real. You've got to get real, you've got to get honest. God cannot transform a pretend version of yourself. And until each of us is willing to be honest about who we really are, what we've really done, Unless we're truly willing to come out of the darkness into the light, we're not opening ourselves to God's transformation. What, what hurt is there that you just need to go to God with? How many of you just need to tell God during this next, these next two songs, I want this, but I'm nowhere near it. I, where are you? Like you? I feel like you're, you're just gone. I don't hear your voice. I don't even, and I feel bad admitting this, God, but I don't even want you. If that's how you feel, it's okay. Tell him. He can, he can receive it. He can handle it. He, dare I say, understands it. But just be honest with him. Get real, get honest. The second is get intentional. I mean, anything you've ever tried to get better at, you've given time, you've made an investment in. Whether it is athletics whether it's your job, whether it's learning another language, you, you know, anything you've ever tried to learn for the first time, anything you've tried to get better at, you've had to give time, energy, sweat, and tears. The same is true about God. And if you're saying yes to everything else at the expense of God, like, yeah, it's good. You're not going to feel the fire. And I know this gets dangerously close to legalism and like this and that, but it's just true. I'm sorry, it's just true. If you come here for an hour once a week and that's the extent of your time with God and the Bible, I mean, better than zero, but you're not, it's not enough. It's not enough. I mean, I just, we, we're saying yes to everything and doing crazy stuff. For our kids and all you know and it's just like we gotta say yes to God if we want God you want the hunger you want to be able to say this stuff you got to be intentional and the last I said is get better friends and I put better in quotes 
I had a friend who became a Christian and he just dumped all his non-Christian friends. Bad idea. Because then they're like, it's not a good witness. It's not. So don't do that. But some of you just, you become like the five closest people in your life. And I, I think it's important to look and go, who am I becoming? Who's influencing me? And some of you are hanging out with Christians, but it's a bunch of people who say they're Christians, but you're just boozing and swearing and gossiping and doing all these things, and you think it's okay because it's with Christians. It's actually worse. It's actually worse. Just saying you're doing it with Christians doesn't fix the sin. So who, who I mean, I'm not saying dump your friends. Don't hear me. But there's nothing more inspiring than being around a person who's on fire for God. You know, I sit down with Brent Bills, one of our overseers, every single time I'm done meeting with him, regardless of what we're talking about. I just, I sense the fire. And there's something about being around people who just are on fire, who are living obediently to God, who know God's word. I mean, all these different things. That, man, it'll, it'll stir something in you. Who's worth imitating? Find those people. Ask God to bring those people into your life. And see how just being real with God, being intentional, and be centering your, your life around people that are pursuing God and pursuing the fire of the Spirit changes your life. Let's stand together and just pursue God through music now. <laughs>